that has created an opportunity in health clubs that we haven't seen before. And that is we have more members rejoining our clubs than we do proportionately personal trainers. So I actually think there has never been a better time for someone to join the fitness industry. You're listening to the Fitness Industry Podcast, powered by Australian Fitness Network. For articles, resources, and inspiration to grow your fitness business and career, go to fitnessnetwork.com.au, where you can also find a huge range of online courses, many of them accredited for CECs and other professional development credits, with up to a massive 30% saving for members of Australian Fitness Network. Steve Pettit is the CEO of the Australian Institute of Fitness and Australian Fitness Network. Here, he chats with the Fitness Industry Podcast's Oliver Kitchingman about brand refreshes, the post-pandemic surge in demand for PTs, the opportunity for clubs and trainers to double down on social connection, the war for dominance in the fitness technology space, and why PTs should view online training services as tools to complement rather than compete with the services they provide. Steve, welcome back to the Fitness Industry Podcast. Thanks, Ollie. Great to be chatting again. We first had you actually on the podcast about three years ago, I believe. So much has changed in three years. It has, Ollie. I recall sitting with you three years ago at a Filex and talking about all things leadership. A lot of water under the bridge since then. Certainly, yes. Imagine face-to-face conventions and everything. <laughs> Hasn't the world changed? Hasn't it? Just talking of change, the AIF has recently undergone um, a rebrand in the latter half of 2020. So what prompted that? And why now? Gosh, our last brand served us really well for about 15 years. But like with all things, things get old and they need to be refreshed and revived. And we certainly wanted a new brand position that better positioned us for the future. So we created a brand that's representative of our energy and our positivity for the future and really our ongoing commitment to excellence in education. So, you know, we've gone with red, it's bold, we've moved on from our previous blues and greens, and we think the red really identifies us with a nice powerful position, making sure that we continue to derive quality in what we do. It's been great. You know, if you think about Filex, as we just discussed, the AIF team would have always been known for the green shoulders and blue shirts. So we'll be looking a little bit different the next time we get together, but we've got a brand that we're all really proud of and one we think that's going to lead us really nicely into the future as we continue to build our business and our business model and the amount of capability that we can actually offer to the fitness industry more broadly. I mean, the AIF's a big brand. It's a national brand. We have campuses all over Australia. It's a fairly big job when you've got, you've got students, you've got the team members, you've got the websites, you've got campuses. There's a lot that's involved in a rebrand. There is. <laughs> and talk about timing. So we're all set to roll out the rebrand mid last year. But this little thing called COVID-19 came and paid a visit. So that put our plans back by six months. But, you know, there's a silver lining to everything. That just meant that we were able to redefine our business, our strategy, and the way we wanted to add value to our students and to our industry. So, yeah, it touches a lot of corners of the business. It's not just the brand. It's our our vision, our mission, and our values. And making sure that we are really contemporary for not only tomorrow's fitness professional, but the day after that as well with the real future focus. Our brand talks to us wanting to continue to offer great value continue to grow the fitness industry 
both in our graduates or our warriors, as we call them, and also with our career partners and our industry partners as well. So with the, the rebrand, there was also a merger with Australian Fitness Network. So what does that mean for the industry? Well, for, good question. First, I'll just talk about the Australian Fitness Network a little bit more. For a lot within the fitness industry, they may know it better as network. And for others, they'll know that network used to run the Phylex conventions. It was probably the jewel in the crown of network. But then Phylex was purchased by what is now Phylex Holdings and the AIF acquired the remaining business. So that gave us a great opportunity. We've always been really good at graduating fitness professionals, putting them into industry and wishing them all the best with their career thereafter. We wanted a way whereby we could continue to offer value in terms of ongoing education and Australian Fitness Network or Network had a great ongoing education to the business and we saw that as being of significant value to our Warriors experience. So we were really excited to pick up Network a couple of years ago and over the last little while we've been making some great effort at ensuring that we're able to offer an end-to-end solution and it's going to be time this year that we actually integrate network into the AIF. So there will no longer be two businesses and two brands. It will be AIF network. So under the AIF brand, we'll be offering network ongoing education. And we're just looking to reimagine the way that our membership base consumes that education. And we're reimagining the level of quality that we want to deliver to industry. So really sort of closing the loop, closing the circle for AIF graduates. So it's not a case of somebody's interested in becoming a fitness professional. They go to AIF, they become a fitness professional, and then they're out in, they're out in the world on their own. It's a way of continuing that journey with them once they've graduated. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we really want to be an end-to-end partner for our graduates so that we don't just say, look, good luck in industry. You know, we do a great job of qualifying and introducing our warriors to industry, but we wanted to be there for their journey and make sure that we could continue to help them grow and develop so that they were a contemporary personal trainer that continued to add value to their clients and either their own business or the business that they work with or for. Okay, so if I'm already qualified as a personal trainer, even if I studied with a different provider, not AIF, AIF can still help me stay working in the industry and continuing my success? Yeah, absolutely. Come and see us. We want to make sure that we offer that value. A number of our courses are CEC approved. So for those that are registered with Fitness Australia or other registration bodies, come along and see us. And it's a great way to keep your registration up to date. But more importantly, it's just a great way to sharpen the saw, make sure that the skills that you're continuing to offer your clients are growing and diversifying so that your clients remain engaged and energized. They'll stay with you and they'll stay in fitness. With all of this change, in 2020, AIF also upgraded its flagship master trainer program. So this is the the personal trainer qualification course that AIF is very well known for throughout the industry. So what's changed with with master trainer? Well, we looked at the way industry is developing and we've got some really big providers in industry now, such as F45. Now, F45 doesn't actually require a cert forward qualified personal trainer to work within their facilities. They just require the Cert 3. So we wanted to create our Cert 3 that it spoke to what the current fitness industry is requiring. And within our Cert 3, there's a couple of key things that our graduates are going to be able to achieve. One is gym instruction and the other is group exercise instruction. Then when they go on to do the personal training component, they leave with a better rounded master trainer qualification. 
The other thing we've done is we've recognized how important technology is becoming as part of a personal trainer's requirement. And we have integrated with a couple of partners of ours, with Jimmy and GoX Pro, to make sure that we're giving our graduates exposure to some really contemporary technological advances that have happened and ensuring that as they graduate that they have a much better way to influence their clients and that they can do that understanding that there are different modalities in which they can teach their clients and you know the technology piece is probably going to be a real theme that flows through today it is definitely part of our industry last year gave it a real shot in the arm with respect to the growth that we experience within the virtual world. And I think that's really going to continue as we move forward as well. So we're really confident that our master trainer qualification is second to none. And we're really confident that our graduates are going to have the best step into a fitness career that we could possibly give them. I mean, as you allude to there, Steve, look, the fitness industry was incredibly hard hit by COVID closures in 2020. I mean, the fitness industry more so than, than some other industries being so heavily face-to-face based and then restrictions on member numbers upon reopening also obviously affected clubs and classes and studios so what do you see as being the new landscape for gyms and operators of personal training businesses in the months and and the years ahead yeah what a, a weird year we have had if someone had told me in january 2020 that we were going to be dictated where we could exercise, when we could exercise, with whom we could exercise. I wouldn't have believed them. It was just so far out of the reality that we're experiencing. So the new landscape moving forward is going to be different. I don't think that's necessarily a change to other times because really the only constant is change. However, what was required both within the fitness industry and other industries more broadly was this adaption and ability to innovate. So I think there's been a real silver lining to 2020, and that has been that a lot of industry have actually identified that there needs to be a hybrid model, i.e. the face-to-face offering is outstanding, but when that's complemented with a technology piece as well, whereby someone can consume either virtually or on demand from home or elsewhere, we're just increasing the pool of people that we can actually talk to and help motivate to exercise. I think it creates a much greater access to customer base as well. There may be someone who loves the face-to-face environment, but on a certain day, it just may not work for them and they may not have a default position. But as soon as industry starts to innovate around having both a face-to-face and a virtual solution, it opens up the database of those that may actually participate in exercise. And it gives those that are already participating in exercise a broader range of opportunities to be able to engage in that exercise. You know, you look at a couple of big names around the world, you've got Les Mills On Demand doing an outstanding job. My mother with great glee called me last year. She's 72 and she had just conducted her first group fitness class from her living room because Les Mills in New Zealand were actually beaming it through one of the free-to-wear TV channels. So there is this new wave of fitness enthusiasts coming through that is able to consume exercise in a way that they haven't before. I think there's an opportunity for industry to double down on social and community connection as well. 
for those that are a little bit more introspective, they may have loved 2020 because they weren't able to get out as much as they, <laughs> as they may have been required to do previously. For the extroverts who just love that social connection and that sense of community, I think fitness clubs have a great opportunity to really double down in that space. I think group training will be really key as people are looking for that connection again. As long as industry continue to diversify, look at additional products that can be offered, as I think has happened pre-COVID, but will certainly continue to happen post-COVID. But really, the, the key is just this innovation piece. It's making sure that industry is listening to their members, to their client base, understanding what are the things that are going to be motivating for them to continue to exercise, because we all want to be entertained at some level. And if we can make our exercise engaging, I think we're a whole lot more likely to do two things. One is keep those who are currently exercising in exercise. And the second is bring those who aren't exercising into exercise. And I think by doing that, we're just going to create a fitter and healthier Australia. And that's going to be a good thing. When it comes to virtual training and the using technology, as you say, I mean, it's, it's really it's kind of opened up, up the space. There are numerous platforms there are numerous different ways to connect with people. Do you think it's going to, we're going to see a battle for the preferred platforms or do you think the market's big enough that there won't necessarily be one or two dominant platforms? There are, you know, there are tens of thousands of trainers. There are hundreds of thousands of clients. There's going to be something for everybody. Oh, look, Ollie, I don't think we're going to see a battle. I think we are in the midst of a battle. I and mean, then let's talk about it for a minute. Announced the other day, Google have picked up Fitbit. You've got Apple Fitness Plus. So there's a couple of major companies really doubling down on fitness and acknowledging the importance of fitness and wearables, etc. You've got some homegrown talent. You've got Sweat by Kayla Itzenes and Toby Pierce, like doing brilliantly both domestically and internationally. Fitness and Lifestyle Group are working with Loop, which is actually an, an aggregate platform. So they've got Chris Hemsworth and his center app, and they've got Emily Sky Fitness. And that's going you know, gangbusters both domestically and around the world as well. So when we're talking about, do I think this is going to be a war? It probably already is. Do I think more players are going to try and jump in? Yes, I do. But I also think there's going to be a level of aggregation. I think we're going to see some major buy-ups as we've already done through Google and Fitbit. And it'll be interesting to see those groups that are doing really well as to whether the big players will try and consume them to give them that market dominance. Do you feel the presence or the, the growth in the market of celebrity trainers when you, you were talking about your Chris Hemsworths there and various other fitness professionals who have got their apps and their programs? Do these guys pose a threat to your, your regular PTs or do you think it's a way of reaching a market who may then go on to use the services of a personal trainer rather than watching a program that's being put out to countless millions or hundreds of thousands of people? Yeah, do I think they're a threat? I think for anyone with a closed mind, they would be considered a threat. For any personal trainer that's out there and trying to focus on the future, they should be seen as complementary. Typically, a client isn't going to train with a personal trainer every time they exercise. It might be once a fortnight or once a week or maybe twice a week. Those clients then need something to do when they're not with the personal trainer. Now, yes, the personal trainer can be writing individual programs or they could actually be making a recommendation to their preferred um, virtual trainer of choice. So I think they can actually work really collaboratively. If anyone thinks that it's us versus them, I think they're going to be in for the sad reality to find that their business is shrinking because 
if their clients haven't found it already, they probably will. If personal trainers integrate that to their solution, I think they're going to have a significantly more successful future, whereby their clients' interests are going to be at the center of their decision-making. So with the reopening of clubs and studios and the recommencement of face-to-face training with trainers post-shutdown, post-restrictions, is there much work out there for people in the fitness industry at the moment? Yes, more than ever. It has been incredible, and this has been a side effect of 2020. There are two types of personal trainers that really come out the back of 2020. Those that were working within a health club, and they defined there was actually another way to offer personal training. So they've gone and they've worked with a virtual model or an outdoor model, and that's worked really well for them. Then there's those that go, you know what, I love the bricks and mortar. I love to be in the club. I love the introduction that the health club makes of new members to my personal training client list. And they'll slip back into that model. Now, something's happened that I've never seen before. And to be honest, Ollie, I don't know if we will ever see again. Personal trainers choosing path A or path B, that has created an opportunity in health clubs that we haven't seen before. And that is we have more members rejoining our clubs than we do proportionately personal trainers. So I actually think there has never been a better time for someone to join the fitness industry because after what was 2020, after the restrictions, coming out of 2020 and having those restrictions released was like the biggest New Year's resolution ever going to see. People wanting to get back into their health and fitness, but because the traditional personal trainer within health clubs have found other ways to offer their services, it means there are more opportunities within our health clubs than we have ever seen before. We are getting more calls than we have ever had from our career partners looking for personal trainers to join their businesses, either in partnership, working with or working for. So there's a huge opportunity, and I think it's a great time for anyone considering jump into fitness to do so because there are more clients looking to achieve results after what might have been a slightly more sedentary 2020 than they had expected, and there's more opportunities with the partners that might be prepared to work with them to help them grow their personal training business thereafter. People now returning, we've got memberships growing with not quite enough trainers to train them currently. Do you think that there's been a change in the mindset of the wider community There's that COVID has really reinforced the importance of good health and therefore sort of elevated fitness in a lot of people's priorities? Yes. I think fitness, we can talk about it two ways. The first is physical fitness, but then the impact that that has on mental health as well. It's interesting. Sometimes you don't appreciate something until it's taken away from you. You know, we just take their ability to jump on a bike and go for a 20k ride for granted or go for a five kilometer walk or get in the car and go to the gym. We just take these things for granted or at least we did. When those things are taken away, I think we appreciate the value even more. So coming off the back of 2020, I think we're going to find a lot of people more deeply engaging in exercise and that has the positive impact on mental health as well. And not just mental health because we're moving, but mental health because either we are engaging in that community and that social sphere, or for those who use exercise as their own time, we can actually get back out of the house and you know have some time to ourselves whereby we can just think, we can exercise, we can have that moment just to switch off from the realities of whatever we may be dealing with in our day-to-day. Speaking of mental health there, Steve, it really feels as though mental health is now being listed as one of the first few benefits of, of exercise 
Whereas even a few years ago, it was it really seemed to be fairly low down the list of priorities that clubs and that fitness providers might be touting to prospective members. Is this this shift in priorities changing the way that that trainers are training people, or, or the way that members and consumers are interacting with their clubs? Yeah, I think it is a lot more about wellness now than it is just fitness. You know, if we look more holistically at our body and our mind. If we can take a more holistic approach to wellness and not just include exercise, but also include things that are going to be good for the mind. A lot of people are engaging in mindfulness activities such as yoga, Pilates, you know, concentrating on breathing. So we're going to see this evolution, I think, out of the strict fitness mandate, and we're going to see it morph into wellness. And I think that has to take into account the whole of body and the whole of mind. You know, in terms of what we're doing, just exercising in itself, as I said earlier, is a break. You know, it is a break from what we may have going on in our week or our day. And that can be great for our mental health simply by itself. But the positive impact of exercise on our physical health and our appearance can have a really strong benefit to our mental health as well. So I think we are definitely going to see mental health being spoken about significantly more in what has been the traditional fitness industry as we morph into taking more of that holistic approach into wellness. Speaking of health challenges, what would you say, in addition to mental health, are the biggest health challenges facing Aussies today? And how can we work towards a healthier Australia? Huge question. The biggest challenge is convenience. You know, we live in this world where we don't have to move as far. We don't have to get up. Everything comes to us. If we look back a couple of generations, we had to move to get everything. We had to move to get our our food, our entertainment, everything. But in our current convenience lifestyle, we barely need to get off the couch to enjoy a movie, have dinner, brought to the front door, et cetera, et cetera. So the biggest challenge we've got is convenience. And it's easy. So it's really hard not to want to engage in convenience because it is all on our phone. It is the push of a button. And a lot of what we need simply materializes. We've got to get to the point where we understand that that level of convenience is actually going to work against our physical health. And that's been great to see. Part of the challenge has been dictated by an advance in technology. But technology is now doubling down to say, oh, right, now we get the opportunity to help fix some of the things that possibly we've started to create. It's simple. We've just got to get moving more. We've got to stop choosing the easy option every time. And we've got to engage with the right advice. So many people, unfortunately, I always use the analogy of you can sign up for a new golf membership and go out and buy the world's best golf clubs. But unless you get a couple of lessons, you're probably just going to hack for the next year or two. And applying that to the fitness industry, if you go out and you buy your membership and you get your new runners, well, to get the best benefit out of both of those things is to get some great advice at the outset, you know, be it engaging with a gym instructor or a personal trainer or an exercise scientist, someone that's going to set you up really well to reduce the chance of injury and make sure that you have a great experience. So the biggest challenge that I think we've got is we're just moving less, we're consuming more, and I'm primarily talking about what we're eating and what we're drinking. And put those two things together and we're going to have a real problem. You know, we do have a real problem. The world is getting bigger. We are getting bigger. Part of the challenge is in the way we're setting our goals. You know, there's been for a long time this concept of smart goals, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic and time-based. 
And SMART goals are really good for those who are already engaged in exercise. But the challenge with a SMART goal is if you're new to exercise and you set a SMART goal, then the first time that you don't make a date or you don't make a weigh-in or you don't make a specific weight that you've been trying to push, then you become less motivated. The more contemporary thinking is around this concept called open goals. Now, open goal, a good example would be opposed to, I want to do 20 press-ups a day for six months. You might say, I want to see how many press-ups I can do within six months. And it puts a really different frame of mind as the way you would go about getting that goal. So that if you don't do press-ups for a day, your goal isn't lost. It is simply a cumulative goal that has more of an open basis and is a lot, a lot better for retention. So, mate, coming back to your question, some of the challenges, we're not moving enough, we're consuming too much, and sometimes the goals we're setting just aren't realistic. So if we can just not always take the easier option, be really careful of what we're consuming and set realistic goals that we can actually have a win with, I think we're going to be in a significantly different position. Well, talking about the state of the nation and the way that the industry is going, the way that the, the nation's health is going, the AIF releases an annual list of trend predictions, actually. So 2021, after after such an unpredictable 2020, and who could have predicted or the trends that emerged in 2020 a year ago, <laughs> is AIF comfortable with being able to make some predictions for 2021? Or is it just shrug and let's see, let's see what it throws at us? <laughs> Look, let's call it an educated guess, shall we? And a lot of this is based based on trend and it's based on just where we see the major um, the major themes moving into 2021. So we, we think- obviously a lot a lot of it will be technology focused as yeah. we, that's the way that everything has shifted. Well, we've really put that down as our number one, Ollie. We think wearable technology is going to be at the top of the list. You know, last 2020 wasn't the year that started technology and fitness. It's been around for a long time, but 2020 certainly gave it the springboard that it probably needed to mainstream it. So we think wearable technology will be a continuing trend into 2021. Really interesting, as I mentioned earlier, to see Google's purchase of Fitbit. And that's really timely off the back of Apple announcing Fitness Plus. So we're going to see some really interesting stuff come out of those two companies over time. So wearable technology, you know, the way we move, the way we're reminded the way we can actually determine how we slept or what our heart rate is. A lot of that feedback is coming through what's on our wrist and then that's being beamed back to our phone. So we're able to actually be a lot more analytical about how we're approaching our day. And, you know, it can be a a small vibration because you got your phone in your pocket that actually reminds you you've got to get up and move opposed to continuing to sit. So we think wearable technology is just going to continue to grow and develop. And I think that's really been underpinned by some of the major plays we've seen from the likes of Apple and Google recently. Second is a really interesting one, and that's exercise as medicine. Exercise and medicine really talks to primary health and promoting primary health to not just prescribe pharmaceuticals, but to say, well, maybe part of a healthier lifestyle is engaging with exercise. And we're really trying to bridge the gap between primary health providers and allied health providers and personal trainers and fitness professionals to make sure that exercise is actually included as part of a healthier lifestyle, that we're not just reading for the prescription, that we're actually prescribing exercise because we think that's going to have a really positive effect as well. We've already talked on mind and body training. That's going to continue over time. We've got that down as a number three. Number four, we've got as virtual fitness. So once again, this is happening all around us. 2020 gave it a little push along. And that's both on demand and live. So you've got Peloton working out of the States, you know, 
going great guns off the back of people looking to consume exercise in a different way last year. And then we've got it as our number five hit training, high intensity interval training. So I'm um, looking at those studio models that are really incorporating hit into their group training as being a really key thing that's going to continue to grow into 2021 as well. So we've got our top 10, we've got our top 20, they're our top five, Ollie. I think we're going to see a lot of movement in those spaces. And we're certainly developing a lot of our content in our courses to make sure that we incorporate a lot of that so that our graduates are really on the cutting edge of knowledge of the things that will be important in the coming years. Some interesting points there. Just touching on the the exercises medicine point, I feel as though a lot of personal trainers have for a long time had referral relationships with allied health professionals. But if this is an area of growth and particularly a greater emphasis on health as opposed to fitness, can personal trainers and the fitness industry in general sort of really strengthen that relationship with allied health professionals? Oy, that is a really big question. A lot of it is around the reputation of the fitness industry. If you think back 20 years or even 15 years, you know, we were a disparate group all finding our way and trying to professionalize this industry and trying to help people move. I think the fitness industry has grown and matured significantly over the last 10 to 15 years. And I think that, you know, when allied health work with the fitness industry in a collaborative way, they're really going to get the sense that they're dealing with a a professional industry and an industry that understands scope of practice, an industry that understands the importance of education, both the initial education and ongoing education. And they're dealing with an industry that's actually really passionate about the improvement of their clients' health and or fitness and or well-being. So I think the way to bridge that gap is for the fitness industry to continue to strive for an outstanding reputation. I think it's really good at the moment, but collectively, if we all do our part to make sure that we continue to grow it, there is a live conversation at the moment as to whether the fitness industry should be regulated. It's not currently. You know, I won't give my my position on that at this stage, but it's a really interesting conversation and there'll be those for and those against. If we continue to do great work, if we continue to grow in our professionalism, if we create great relationships with primary and allied health, I think we can really bridge that gap and make sure that what we offer is the cornerstone or a cornerstone of the solution that a patient may have. Indeed. It's interesting seeing the push for or the, the push for industry feedback on, on regulation and whether or not that's something that the industry does need. Obviously, there will always be conflicting opinions on that. <laughs> Some people feel perfectly confident in self-regulation, whereas others, whether they're confident in it or not, may, may just not want any more interference. <laughs> so it will be, it'll be interesting to see the direction that that takes. Yeah, well, you know, we'll we'll watch with interest. We will certainly have a part in that conversation. There's a lot more conversations that need to unfold before it is determined as, as to whether that's the way the fitness industry would head. In the absence of that at this time, I think if we all are endeavoring to work at a higher standard, that's a great start. Steve? I think we've covered a fair bit today as we kick off 2020, just the state of play of the industry, the state of play with AIF and with Network. It's been interesting to chew the fat and see where things are. Matt, I think we've taken a long walk around the park there. We've covered off on a few topics, as you noted. I just feel great optimism, to be really honest with you. As I said, there's a lot of silver linings to what we experienced in 2020, but I have a deep-seated optimism for the future of fitness, for the future of the fitness industry, as it does what it does, but also has an eye to moving more into wellness and thinking more holistically about the body and the mind. 
you know, I and the RAF are just really passionate about what we do. We can't wait to bring network into our brand of products. And we're just really passionate about making sure that we influence fitness professionals initially and ongoing in their career. So we're having a lot of fun. We want to make sure that we continue to do so. We think the opportunity in the fitness industry is outstanding and we're really engaged for what 2021 will bring. Great stuff. Steve, thank you very much for speaking with the Fitness Industry Podcast. Pleasure as always. Thanks, Ollie. Great to catch up. For a huge range of online courses for fitness professionals, many of them accredited for CECs and other continuing education points, go to the Network website and select the Courses tab. Network members save up to 30%, so head to fitnessnetwork.com.au today to grow your skill set and fitness career.